0: Welcome to the Worthy Writer Edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. Each month, we bring you an informative interview that helps you live your best life as an entrepreneur. Here on the Worthy Writer Edition, we take a deeper dive into authorship topics through conversations with notable writers and quality industry professionals. And now, your host, Tonya Brockett. Greetings, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Heather Hummel-Gallagher. Heather is a New York Book Festival award-winning novelist. Heather's novels include the award-winning Whispers from the Heart and Write from the Heart, Summer's Wisdom, In God We Trust, and Call It Kismet. Her current work in progress is Winter's Truth. You can visit Heather at her website, heatherhummelauthor.com, to learn more about those books, but I have to tell you that Heather and I have a history that precedes all of that. She has been a non-fiction writer, she has been a fiction writer, she has been a ghostwriter, an editor, and that's how we first met with her working with me and my company, Halogen Inc. And she, on top of all of that, is also a professional photographer. And she has been a publisher. So, you know, Heather has so many incredible talents. I am so excited to have her on our show today. Welcome, Heather, to the Write Something Worthy podcast. It's about time to have you join me.
1: Well, it's about time I got here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who to blame, you or me, but at least I finally got, got it. And we pulled it off in, like, record time, pulling it together since yesterday. So,
0: That's right. That's right. So thank you so much for that. It's so awesome. You know, I mentioned in the introduction that we've got a history together. We've known each other for a while. And even though I talk about your award-winning novels and so forth, we go well before that, well beyond that. But... um, a lot of our listeners may not know that. So I was wondering if you would tell us a story about what it is that got you into writing in the first place. Where did it all begin with you?
1: Oh boy. Um, it actually goes way, way, way back when I was little, I am one of those girls who (laughs) knew she wanted to be a writer when she was like five years old. Um, but it was because of my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was a comedy writer back in the day, and she was one of the top 10 comedy writers. This is like back in Mrs. Maisel time, if you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Mm. on Amazon Prime, Mm. you know the time frame I'm talking about. Comedians actually have comedy writers, just like nonfiction authors have ghost writers. So back in the Mm. day, my grandmother was one of the top comedy writers, and she interviewed with and chatted with Joan Rivers and actually ended up writing a lot of jokes for her and getting her career started. So that was kind of cool. Then when I was, you know, that was long before I was born. And um, even Melissa, wasn't in the notes. <laughs> Melissa Rivers was not in the notes yet. So it was long before <laughs> Melissa or I was was born. And, but by the time I came around and was growing up, um, I realized how much writing my grandmother was doing for different magazines like writer's digest my magazine all of those and she kept them when we would go visit her you know i would just see these shelves of all these magazines so she was in california and i was growing up in connecticut and i used to send her little stories that i would write and now by by now i'm maybe 11 12 years old sending her these stories and like, you know, saying to her, well, maybe Reader's Digest wants this story. Can you find out? (laughs) So (laughs) I was uh, very ambitious at a young age. He was very good about humoring me. And back then there was no email. So I was dropping, you know, the stories and letters in the mail to her. And it would take however long to get to California. Then I would get a response. And so it was fun. So in a lot of ways, my grandmother was my pen pal you know, growing up and my biggest inspiration. So that's really, you know, going back to when. And then I later became a high school English teacher. And while after going to the University of Virginia to get my degree in secondary education in English, which is around the time that you and I met. Mm -hmm. And while I was teaching high school, I kept telling the students, you know, you guys can be whatever you want to be. And, you know, they would look at me all funny sometimes. But (laughs) I realized realized one summer that I wasn't being what I really wanted to be. And that was a writer. I was teaching what I loved doing, but I wasn't being the writer. So Mm. that's when I left for my 40th birthday present. I gave myself the gift of following my dream. And that's when I left high school, English teaching to become a full-time writer.
0: Wow. Wow. So even though your dream was delayed, if you will, it didn't mean that it couldn't still happen. And here you are many books later, um, definitely yeah. the writer. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, as you were writing, I mean, you've been writing since a, a young age, so obviously words flow for you, but has there ever been a time when you couldn't get words out on a page?
1: Honestly, no. I don't, I don't know what writer's block really is. I've never experienced it. So I don't know if it's because of the way I pace myself or maybe I don't put as much pressure on myself as some writers do. I'm not the one who's sitting there with the organization chart and the whole outline and the character descriptions all on post-its on all the walls. That's not me at all. And, you know, as we're speaking, I'm actually thinking this, that I wonder if that just puts too much pressure on the writer. So I get in my car every morning around 10 o'clock and I go to Panera and I find a booth to sit in, sometimes Starbucks, but most likely Panera. (laughs) I find a booth to sit in and I block out all my surroundings and lunchtime comes and goes. And I barely notice the people coming in and going and leaving and eating and all that chit chat. And by then I've written 2000 words and then I pack up and go home. So I, I'm not the one who can write at home very easily because of the dogs or distractions or, you know, the laundry in the corner, or whatever it is, but put me in a busy atmosphere like a Panera or a Starbucks or a mom and pop seabill you know, coffee in Charlottesville. And mm-hmm. I can sit down and write 2000 words in a couple hours and not be distracted so it's almost like having that constant humming noise of the air condition
0: mm. versus
1: yeah. hearing just one bird tweeting. <laughs> so, um, so for whatever reason, that's the way I've always been able to write. And it just starts flowing.
0: That is so interesting. Now, is that only when you're writing fiction? Or is that true for nonfiction as
1: well? Kind of both, but mostly fiction uh, because as a ghost writer, now we're talking about having to interview my clients and recordings and getting those transcribed and doing more of a heavy outline and that, cause nonfiction is, you know, is just a complete different beast. Mm-hmm. But once I do yeah. get in the writing, you know, yeah, it flows pretty easily. And in, in that regard, yeah, there is an outline because you have to have a table of contents to work with your client, you know, to go over. But fiction, I usually have the story idea ahead of time, but I don't know the ending until I'm writing it in most cases.
0: Mm. Wow. So you're not trying to, I've seen some templates for writing fiction where each chapter you're going to have your you know, in whatever that incident, that first incident, I forget what it's called all of a sudden, but then, and you have the climax and the repercussions and whatever else, I don't even know. But anyway, (laughs) sometimes they suggest you have those. You can tell I don't do a lot of fiction writing, right? But they have these elements that are supposed to happen along, you know, in a chapter to keep things moving or to make sure there's always action or to, ensure that there's always conflict or uh, to ensure that there's this what character art or what have you so if you don't plan all those plot twists ahead of time you allow those things to come to be based on what your characters are doing in a particular chapter
1: yes that's it that's exactly right but it's it's interesting because as as you say all that, it also depends on the genre that you write in. Every genre, for I'm sticking to fiction for right now, every genre mm-hmm. has a specific trope. And what a trope is are expectations of the readers. So a romance reader, which I don't write, but a romance reader expects the happily ever after. If you're not giving them that, then they're giving you a one-star review, I'll tell you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Science fiction has a whole nother realm. And then there are these micro genres within each genre. So there's like, there's literally like a military science fiction, military and UFO type or intergalactic genre. I mean, it's like, it's so microscopic, Mm. that is crazy. And so under those genres, different, you know, the different genres are gonna have different expectations from all the readers. So yes, you have that character arc, you know, that's the overarching view of what every novel should have. You know, the character should grow and change and morph for the better, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know, they typically start out struggling and then they they face adversity and they overcome and whatnot. But with my genre, which is more literary fiction or women's fiction, you can get away with more creativity in those tropes. Literary fiction kind of gives you a little more, le- the the rails aren't so tight on the track. Whereas mm. with those specific little genres of science fiction, military, you know, it's like, I was listening to someone <laughs> talk about this a few, like a month ago. And I think you know the book I mean. And it's like, okay, the, it better be a fairly new spaceship and you know the guy in the military better be at least a corporal and they're like all these little expectations you know that the reader wants or they're going to say no this isn't my genre so Mm. that's where it gets interesting but for me when i sit down to write my novels um especially like take call it kismet for example in that one Lucy wins a copyright lawsuit. She's a photographer. Her photography stolen. She wins a copyright lawsuit. Now she's sitting on a quarter million dollars. And this is the early 90s. And she's deciding, do I take the money and go to law school and help protect other photographers? Or do I take the money and go travel around the country and do what I love to do, you know, which is photography. In that regard, it's, There is a character, art, she does face adversity in terms of trials and tribulations on each path, no matter which path she chooses. So that's still there. But interjecting that concept that you can have two different choices and two different paths in life, and no matter which one you take, are you going to end up at the same juncture? You know, if you're taking two windy country roads, are you still going to end up on I-64, you know, the straightaway highway? And so that's kind of um, not a particular, that's not necessarily a trope for every woman's fiction novel. It's just a different approach. So I think that that would be a good example of how you can go a little outside the rails with creativity, which is what makes it the literary fiction.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, when I, was growing up, I also felt like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'd go into bookstores and see, you know, my favorite at the time when I was a teenager, for example, was Stephen King. Loved me some Stephen King. And I would just dream of seeing my name going across bookshelves like his, right? Stephen King, Stephen King, Stephen King, no matter what the book was. And I thought I would first write fiction. So when I ended up going to college and my uh poet, laureate, professor, suggest that I do a master's in fine arts so I can write my first novel. By then, I had already gotten on the trajectory of doing my MBA and focusing on business and so forth. So I said, I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. I never thought, though, still at that time, I never thought that nonfiction would be the first book that I wrote. Wasn't nonfiction your first book, too?
1: It was? Uh, well, technically, it's the first book that got published. The ah, first book okay. I wrote was uh, Whispers from the Heart while I was teaching high school English in my oh, uh, wow. on the weekends and evenings. I wrote Whispers from the Heart, and I was probably... No, nope, I was done with it, and I was pitching to agents. And at the same time, mm. my mother ended up on the Today Show um, when she became a... Lifestyle model and she got picked up by the today show to be interviewed and she was working at pebble beach resorts in california And after she was basically saying to the audience that you can Change careers in your late 50s and still follow your dreams and do what you want to do So she had already raised us six kids had done a lot of retail jobs used to bake um, really good cheesecakes and carrot cakes for restaurants that type of thing, you know, while we were growing up. But then, after we were all out of the house, she landed this job at Pebble Beach and ended up being their PR marketing director. And from there, Mm -hmm. she got picked up by a Hollywood producer who happened to be at Pebble Beach. And he's like, why are you not modeling? And she's like, oh, ha ha ha. So, but sure enough, he Mm -hmm. landed her with a modeling agency. She ended up with Ford in Chicago and later with Wilhelmina. But, From that story on the Today Show, she started getting emails from ladies all around the country saying how inspirational she was. So, she called me one day and she's like, you know, what do you think? All these people are emailing me. And I said, well, you know, let me put together a book proposal and pitch to a couple agents, which I already had familiarity with that from pitching to fiction agents, but it's two two different beasts. So, with Nonfiction, you need to put together a book proposal and sample chapters. With, and this is, I'm um, really simplifying this. With fiction, the entire manuscript needs to be done, and you're sending a query letter and sample chapters depending on what the agent wants. Some agents mm-hmm. only want the first five pages, some want the first chapter some the first 20 pages. And you better know what their submission guidelines are when you pitch to them because that's their first exactly.
0: test. Exactly. So we let, talked about that on this podcast, follow directions, for goodness sakes.
1: Yes, because yeah. if you can't follow those directions, then they're like, how am I going to work with you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So with gracefully, what ended up being gracefully looking and being your best at any age, we later got the copyrights back, and now it's creating what's next gracefully. But initially, I wrote the book proposal and wrote three sample cha- chapters, pitched to two agents, and they both wanted it. So we ended awesome. up going with, with whimsy literary. It was a Cinderella story for sure. Because, uh-huh. I mean, to land both of the first agents that we pitched, they both wanted it. We went with Jackie Meyer and Olga Vizeras at, liter- at Whimsy Literary in New York City, which is a boutique literary agency. And that was over the holidays. And they will tell you, everybody will tell you, don't pitch to agents in November and December because they're really busy with the holidays. Well, if you ask me, that's the best time to pitch to them because nobody else is. And
0: everybody's avoiding it. <laughs>
1: right? Everybody's avoiding it. You know? And I'm like, what? So we pitched in November, we landed them you know, within a week or two. And by March 1st, we had a book deal with McGraw Hill. So we actually spent the holidays when it was quiet, fine tuning the book proposal and sample chapters with, our, with Olga, the agent. And by March 1st, right. we had the book deal with McGraw Hill. And then I wrote it and submitted it by July 4th weekend. So March, April, May, June, July, four months later, the book was now mind you, we had already written three sample chapters. And we already had the outline and everything ready to go. So it was relatively easy for me to write the rest of the book in four months, got it to them by 4th of July. So the reason we were under that strict deadline was we wanted it to release the next May for Mother's Day in time for Mother's Day which it did. It came out, it came out the next May. So with that kind of time crunch, you know, it was pretty critical that I got it done. But at the same time, it was such a good job that the editor at McGraw Hill came back and he's like, I I got nothing to tell you. (laughs) This is great. So which was, you know, wonderful. So it really was a Cinderella story in terms of publishing. And it made it a little difficult when I was working with clients later who had those Ex- same expectations. and
0: so- Right, Heather. I have to tell you, most of the agents and, and, and literary uh, shepherds that have been on this show do not tell that story at all. I mean, the fact that, one, you were able to get two agents right off the bat. Two, you were able to get response within two weeks. Three, you were able to get um, a book proposal, uh, a publishing deal within a few months after that and actually get published within a year and a half of starting it all, that is all Mm -hmm. crazy. That is phenomenal when you look at the industry now. I mean, you just don't see that happening.
1: No, you don't. And I'll tell you, a lot of it, it it was twofold. So there were, initially when I pitched to Jackie at Whimsy, I went against the grain. I just sent her an email and said, hey, you know, look, my mom was on the Today Show. She's getting all these emails. Here's her website, what do you think? I didn't send her a proposal in chapters right away. I didn't even have it written. And she emailed me back and she said, your mother's so beautiful, what the hell can the rest of us do? You know, it's like, how is that gonna help us?
0: You know, I
1: said, said, believe me, I know. So, but Uh I said, Gio, trust me though on this, look, can I send you a proposal? She's like, yeah, sure, whatever you want, you know? So, Three days later, I wrote the book proposal and sample chapters. And that's when I pitched it back to her. When Jackie saw the proposal, then the lights started going off. Okay, this isn't about being, you know, a six foot, you know, long legged beauty. It's Mm -hmm. about so much more than that. So that's when she was like, okay, I get it now. That's why we, you know, went in and, and tweaked the proposal a little bit. It ended up being a lot less memoir and more prescriptive self self help, which was really the request of McGraw Hill, because they were going in that direction at the time. So this fit in, you know, nicely with them. So, it, you know, it, 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 it was just interesting the way that at first she was like, wait, what? <laughs> How are we supposed to learn from your beautiful mother when I'm, you know, or most people aren't
0: so. your mother is absolutely stunning and yes i can imagine thinking the same thing there's no way i'm going to look that good when i'm sick to tea or whatever oh, yeah. why do i want to buy that but yeah and and so tell me about that title though you you talked about the title becoming gracefully when you pitched it what did you call it something else
1: yeah we really didn't have a title. Jackie actually came up with the title "Gracefully Looking and Being Your Best at Any Age," and mm. when she came up with, I was like, "Okay." And then the editor at McGraw Hill, he was fabulous, and he he got the whole message right away. Um, he has since left and has gone on to become a priest. So that that pretty that's pretty much tells you where the publishing industry went not long after that. But um, <laughs> you know, they just got the message that. It's about reinventing yourself. Really, my mother was the start of aging gracefully long before Jane Fonda and all, all that. But it's about reinventing yourself after you've raised your kids and moved on and had your career. It's not, you know, it's really what do you want to do now? So that was the message. Mm-hmm. And she got it that it wasn't about becoming a model at 63 like my mother did. know, <laughs> It's about what do you want to do? And and chasing that. So it worked out. And then five years later we got the rights back and we wanted to we wanted to redo, you know, a good portion of the book. So we did and then we re released it as creating what's next gracefully. And that's the premise that my mom did a lot of public speaking on. So she ended up I mean, she certainly did a lot of modeling gigs. She went to Jamaica for some photo shoots and when they moved here to florida she did a lot down here but more even more she ended up being a keynote speaker in fact she's doing one with a wellness summit which i will get you the link if you want to put it in the show notes um, right. down here in down here in florida she's doing a wellness summit in april that is free to watch Mm -hmm. Online so I will get you that link Uh, but here she is eight. She'll be 83 in October and she's still doing Some keynote speaking, so You know she spent the last two decades. Yeah, she spent the last two decades doing a lot of inspirational speaking For the you know American Red Cross and some just a lot a lot of places
0: and so that reminds us that we always have the capacity and the opportunity to do what it is that we want to do and to make a positive impact, no matter what we've already been through or how old we feel we already are. Here, your mother has shown that we can still make an impact no matter what. And what's so great is that you were able to articulate that in a book so quickly, and get it out there. I don't want everybody to think they can write fast like you, Heather, and that they can just go out there and beep. There it is. I got my publisher. Now it's time to go. Um, <laughs> but it's also good to hear stories like that, that it doesn't always have to be about 150 pink slips before you get your first yes, right? And that's what we hear in the industry more than anything right now. is Nobody's going to pick you up, so why bother?
1: In 2007, that was the way you did it self-publishing still had a little bit of a taboo reputation it was still like it's certainly not what it is today now mm-hmm. people don't even they don't care one way or the other whether you're independent or um, self-published or traditional published it's it's not as big of a deal now it's all about marketing it's a completely different game but i will say that one of the big draws for McGraw Hill was my mother's database being the PR marketing director at Pebble beach. She had a lot of connections. So that made a difference. Now she did not leverage and abuse those connections by any means, but she was already a recognizable person from having been on the today show, which she did go on to be on three or four more times. Ann Curry interviewed her at one point. She was on just simply for the color of her hair. Nowadays publishing, is so much more about the marketing aspect than whether you're traditional or independent publishing. it all comes down to marketing. And you've really got to find when it comes to that, you've got to find what works for you, what your where your wheelhouse is for marketing and stay in that lane and you're you'll do a lot better than if you spread yourself too thin, if you're trying to post it and then, and then I know that the social media, you can post on Instagram and it goes to your Facebook and it it used to go to Twitter. It doesn't anymore. Those are separate now, but um, don't try to spread yourself so thin across all of those. Instead, focus on what works for you. Like Facebook doesn't work for a lot of writers because I'll tell you, right, at least if you have just your profile, yes, if you build an author page and build that up and really spend a lot of time building the interactions with your fans and whatnot, that will pay off. But it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day about, she's about to get published and she's like, well, I'm really worried about what so-and-so thinks and about my book. And I said, let me tell you this. Her name was Wendy. Let me tell you this Wendy: The first people to congratulate you on publishing your book are your friends and family. The last people to buy your book and read it are your friends and family. Yes, so don't, so don't worry about that, you know, write what's what you want to write and get it out there. Facebook is usually not the greatest place. And yes, you can do Facebook ads, but that's going down a pigeonhole that you better know what you're doing. I find that what works the most for me is running Amazon ads. And there's a real art to it, which I can always come back on a, in another episode, another show and talk about that in more mm-hmm. depth with you. But if you're not advertising on Amazon, your book is not getting seen on Amazon. So you better be using another avenue to drive traffic to your book on Amazon. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. Because if you think about it, Amazon is now one of the bigger search engines in the world, right? You've got millions of people with their credit cards ready on Amazon. And they are, they're searching for things. They're identifying products and this and that and the other. So if your book is there, great, yay, your book is there. But there are 50 billion other products on Amazon. So if you're going to be seen, you have to do something to stand out and wave and say, hey, I'm over here. Come join me. So you've been finding a way to do that lately, especially with your series of books that you've got going on. Can you... Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have a series, for example, over just having individual books that right there, I think is a big difference right off the bat.
1: Yeah, it, it does tend to make a difference, especially again, if we look back at those genres that we were talking about earlier with women's Mm -hmm. fiction and literary fiction, the series aren't as critical. But if you're Mm. going into romance or science fiction or, you know, those different, more um, specific genres, series tend to do a lot better. So, right. For example, Nicholas Sparks is what I aspire to be. <laughs> like I've had Whispers from the Heart was compared to, you know, Nicholas Sparks, which was in, in a review, you know, somebody reviewed it and said, Woo-hoo. it. you know, my books were a lot like Nicholas Sparks. I was like, oh my gosh. But Nicholas Sparks <laughs> doesn't write series. So I have two series. One is Journals from the Heart and I've got Whispers from the Heart and Write from the Heart in there. I started writing the third one but I decided to make that first in another series called Camden Lake Tales. So I know I heard years ago that a series doesn't take off till you write the third in a series. So leave it to me to take the, what was going to be the third in a series and say, no, I want to make this Uh the first uh in another series. But the reason I did that is because the protagonist and that, that is now summer's wisdom. The protagonist finds out that at, Um, 16 years old that she was adopted so that's book one of the camden uh camden lake tales book two that i'm writing now winter's truth is the backstory of the birth mother and book three which i don't have a title for yet is the backstory of the birth father so it made sense to to take Mm -hmm. that and make it its own separate series whereas journals from the heart is the common thread there is not a person or characters it's journal writing itself so while journal writing comes up in a lot of my novels for summer's wisdom it, it just made sense because of the trajectory i was going on with you know the adopted daughter the birth mother and the birth father making it you know the trinity or the three of the of this of the series that just made more sense but then while I was writing my series, I also thought of Call It Kismet that I talked about earlier and In God We Trust. And In God We Trust is about a $1 bill and a $100 bill and the different hands that they go through over a period of time. So the different people that you know hold these bills at different times and what they mean to them. So that was Full just time like time. an explore, exploratory novel that I thought of. I was living in California and I put everything on hold to write that novel. So, uh, but right now I am focused on the Camden Lake tales, finishing that series. And then I'll go back and write the third in the journals from the heart series. So I've mm-hmm. kind of gone about series in a different way. I would think than a lot of authors do a lot of them write them in sequence. And they don't mm. necessarily have the standalones in between that I've done. So part of me is like, well, maybe I should just take everything and make it all free standalone, the way Nicholas Sparks is. But certainly, the Camden Lake Tales series, you know, needs to be the trilogy mm. between the daughter and the and the two birth parents. So I'm sticking with that one for sure. Mm. But you know, and that's Perfect. where you got to figure out what works. What works for you as a writer, but also what are again, going back to those tropes, what are the readers going to expect? So
0: mm.
1: for your for that genre.
0: Do you have any feeling of like that it was easier, funner, quicker, better, more enjoyable to write a single book? Or did you like the idea of thinking, oh, okay, well in book two, maybe I'll have her do that? having that series to rely upon for different actions with that particular character.
1: There is better than another. Yeah. In different ways. Yeah. There's a relief to writing a standalone and having it completed and knowing you're putting it out there in the world. And it's, it is what it is. Hmm. A series obviously is a lot more thought and consideration and, and it feels like it's not over till it's over. And that could be three, four. I mean, some of these authors have six, seven, eight in a series. With Whispers from the Heart and right from the Heart, now that I've pulled Summer's Wisdom from that series, I'm not sure what that third one's going to be. So that's always in the back of my mind. We're calling Kismet and In God We Trust. They're out there living the life right now, those two books. <laughs> you know, they're not worried about a third one or a second one even coming in. But right. I didn't even have the idea to make the backstory of Camden Lake Tales, the third one, be the birth father until I was in the middle of writing Winter's Truth with the birth mother, and I'm like, well, obviously she has to get pregnant, right? She has the baby at 16 and <laughs> puts it up for adoption, and then Samantha in Summer's Truth finds out that she's also you know, that she was put up for adoption at that age. So it's. Um, mm. You're, you're always thinking about what's next and what's possible, but sometimes you surprise yourself and halfway into book two, you figure out what book three is. Mm. And it's actually Jamie and Summer's wisdom. Sometimes all the characters are like <laughs> are always all over. Samantha was <laughs> right from the heart. Samantha left her day job to become a writer. That's in right from the ah. heart.
0: Given that you decided to do that and you, you left what other people would say was how can you leave a decent job just to go be a writer? Have you now come to realize how important that was for you and how that was you, that if you had not done that, that you'd have been living a lie until this time.
1: Yeah. And I can't, when I was teaching high school English, that was, long before kids had cell phones and well, I was right, ar- right around when kids were starting to get cell phones and all that in the classroom. I can't even imagine being a teacher these days. So I'll start by saying that <laughs> God bless them all, but I can't even imagine. So, and I can never imagine being an elementary school teacher because they have to be on all the time, at least as a high school teacher, high school students understand when you have a bad day you know, and they, they get it, you know. So I had a really good rapport with all the students when I was a high school teacher. But as a writer, you know, and it goes back to call it kismet and the two different paths she had to choose from, you know, I could have stayed mm-hmm. and kept being a writer like everybody told, I mean, being a high school teacher, like everybody told me to do. So there's a lot of freedom in following your dream. But there's also a lot of struggle and you come up against a lot more because really people don't want other people following their dreams. They're inspired by people when they make it when they make it happen. Then they're inspired. But when you're in the middle of following your dream, that's when you come up against the most adversity and so many people telling you, just go go back to teaching. You know, go back to being an office manager. It'll be easier for you. You'll be happy. Yeah. So just until you are that job. success, yeah, just go get a job. Don't worry about it you don't want to drive cross country 10 times and, and really, you know, write books in coffee shops and Panera. (laughs) Like, yeah, I do. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) I do actually, thank you. And that's why I know I sent you a note the other day. Have you seen the movie American underdog? And it's a story about Kurt Warner, who was a quarterback for uh, the LA Rams. But he was well out of college when he made it. And I'm not going to give away the story, but I'm watching this movie going, oh my God, this is me. If I took everything that he went through pretty much and translated it instead of football to writing. like, "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. So, and my mom, you know, going, Of course, she raised six kids. I didn't have one. (laughs) I thought she was crazy growing up. I'm like, why do you want all of us running around? (laughs) So I didn't have kids. But my parents had six. And, um, you know, for her to really hit her stride when she did was always, you know, inspirational. But at the same time, I'm watching this movie going, you know, he never gave up on his dream. He did what he had to do to keep a roof over his head. But he never gave up on his dream. And it paid off. And for some people, it just takes longer, you know? Mm -hmm. But you don't give up.
0: Well, I'm going to have to take a look at that movie and see if I see some of the same correlations. Thank you for the recommendation. Now I have but one last question for you uh, before we wrap it up for this time, because you're going to have to come back and we're going to talk some more about uh, more marketing. But what is it that you believe it takes and this is my signature question. What does it take to write something worthy?
1: For me, writing something worthy is about doing something that I truly love. So whether or not people read my novels, I mean, obviously, every writer wants people reading their novels and writing great reviews. But that's not the real reason I do it. I do it because I love it. I feel that I'm good at it, especially after all these years Of doing it, of being a writer, but for the most part, writing something worthy means if you look at just the word worth, it's worth my time because I love doing it. And if the end result means that lots of people are reading it, then that's, you know, just the icing on the cake.
0: Well, that's beautiful. That's a great answer. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I also thank you for spending your time with me today. This has been so terrific, and I can't believe that it took so long to make this happen, but hopefully the next time won't be so long in coming. Can you tell uh, the listeners one more time where they can find you? I'm going to put all your contact information in the show notes, but if you'd like to shout out a place where they can come look for you, that'd be great.
1: The best place to learn more about me and all of my books is at my website, www.heatherhummel2ms1lauthor.com. And all of my books are on there and you can connect with me on many social media platforms as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Worthy Writer Edition of the Write Something Worthy podcast. If you'd like to know more about today's guest or even to reach out to them, you can find all of their information in our show notes at writesomethingworthy.com. Have a wonderful week, and we hope you join us next Wednesday for another fabulous episode.